Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. On this episode, we take a look at some offbeat alien encounters from Carlisle, England, and Palos Verdes, California. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. And welcome to the first episode of Season 7, albeit a little delayed, it is uh, finally here. And uh, I want, before we get into the show proper, I have a couple of housekeeping notes to go over. Uh, just a couple little things. One, uh, I want to give everyone the social media stuff up front. If you are looking for the show, 
Uh, I am most active on Twitter. You can find the show there at STScast. You can find the show on Instagram at STScast.gram. And you can find the show on Facebook at STScast.fb. That is right. I was finally able to get the new page a username. Uh, it took a little bit, but I, you know, after a while, I just sent out a tweet and I rallied some troops. I rallied some friends to go and just bump up the likes on the new page. It's been kind of hard to find to get over that 25 like hump and was able to finally get the new page a username. So it will now be much easier for everyone to find on Facebook. As you may or may not know, like two months ago, I got hacked and I have not been able to get back into that account to do anything with it. So it is now just essentially dead in the ether. So if you are using the old Facebook page, please find uh, the new one at stscast.fb and migrate over because that's where uh, I'll be handling all the Facebook stuff from now on. And the other thing I want to point out is I have decided to go back to the schedule that I used to use before season six. Uh, I tried it for a little bit to just do everything kind of that weekend and get it ready to go and get it out. And that worked okay for a little bit, but quickly burnout ensued as you may have been able to tell. I don't know, especially in those last few episodes. So I've decided to go back and work on it over the week that it comes out and then go back to recording like Friday nights like I used to. So I'm not sure at this moment when the show will come out. I don't know if I'm just going to wait and post it on Sundays like it's going now or if I should jump back to doing like Saturday mornings or sometimes in Saturdays. I'll play around with it. Just know that it will still come out on the weekend. I just don't know which day that's going to be as of yet. But that's all out of the way. I just wanted to let everybody know before we move on and uh, now I'm ready to move on with a couple of just off the wall alien encounters. I wanted to talk about some stuff that wasn't like the Greys or the Venusians or all the stuff that we hear about all the time. So we're going to explore uh, the blue alien space brains of Palais Verdes, California and uh, the uh, Solway Firth Spaceman from Carlisle, England. <laughs> Hello friends, my name is Michael Patrick and I'm the host of the Monsters and Friends podcast. Each week, my Bigfoot friend Barry and I fire up our trusty Winnebago and we travel the United States in search of cryptids, legends, and lore. However, we're not looking for any old cryptid, legend, and lore. We want to introduce you to some of the monsters of the world that don't get the same spotlight as Barry's cousin Bigfoot. Did you know that in Ireland, there's an eight-foot murderous otter? Or in the Mongolian desert, there's a worm that can kill you. Instantly. Come with Barry and I each and every week as we travel the United States in search of interesting monsters and stories. Once we find them, we usually find a good spot to camp, sit around the campfire, sip on warm cider, and chat about life, or sometimes butterflies. We'd love for you to join us each and every week and learn about the amazing things and stories that we discover. You can find the Monsters and Friends podcast on iTunes, 
Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll chat again real soon. Before we get into tonight's topics, I want to take a minute and let you know that there is so much more small town secrets to enjoy. Check out the Patreon. There are one, two, and three dollar tiers of support with stuff like a shout out on the main show, exclusive buttons and stickers, MP3s to the music I create, also an ad slash promo free version of the main show, as well as STS Backroads, the Patreon only podcast that comes out in the off weeks, which means you'll get content every week all in your own RSS feed. There is all of this and more. To sign up, go to patreon.com slash stscast or stscast.com and click on the support tab. And now, on with tonight's episode. The town of Carlisle started out as a Roman stronghold due to its close vicinity to the border of Scotland, about eight miles away. It's also about the same distance from the famed and beautiful Solway Firth. And a firth is pretty much just like an inlet of water. It could be an inlet. It could be a little bay, something like that. It's the same thing as a fjord. It's just kind of a terminology thing. Depending on where you're at, they have a different name for it. And it would be here in 1965 that their father would take a picture of his young daughter, only for it to go down in the addles of extraterrestrial lore. The Firth is an inlet that forms on the border between England and Scotland. It's uh, the main location for the local fishermen and hill farmers. It is also home to the Robin Big Wind Farm, Scotland's first offshore wind farm, which started construction the year before our story in 1964. On May 23, 1964, firefighter and amateur photographer Jim Templeton took his family on a Sunday afternoon outing from his home in Carlisle out to Solway Firth. They decided to explore the Bro Marsh area of the Firth. And while there, Templeton had his young daughter Elizabeth pose with a handful of flowers for a few pictures. Jim snapped three consecutive pictures with his Kodak SLR camera. The family went about enjoying their day. However, looking back, Jim Templeton did notice something a little out of the ordinary. Most of the sheep and the cows, which usually littered the meadows around them, were all huddled together, avoiding the area in where the family had been taking pictures. A few days later, Templeton would go to pick up who developed pictures. The chemist who had developed Jim's film let him know that it appeared some idiot, in quotation marks, had ruined one of the pictures of his daughter. This surprised Jim. He knew that the only people around at the time were his wife and daughter. It was just them, except for a few scared sheep and cattle. Jim then took a look at his pictures. The picture in question was the second of the three consecutive pics. In this photo, Elizabeth is in the foreground holding her bouquet of flowers, and in the background was the idiot. It appeared to be a tall, humanoid figure clad in a white suit and what looked like some sort of helmet. 
To add further strangeness to this figure, it only appeared in the second photo, not in the other two. Jim took the photo to the police to see if they had any insights into what had happened to the picture. They told him it was most likely due to some sort of double exposure. He then had Kodak themselves investigate the picture, and they found nothing out of the ordinary. No double exposure, no tampering, nothing. In other words, the picture was legit. In fact, Kodak had even offered a reward, a year's worth of free film to anyone who could solve the mystery. No one has claimed said reward. It wouldn't take long for Jim's story and photo to hit the papers, and soon he became the talk of the town. Along with all the other stories of UFOs coming out of the woodwork, it would appear that the Firth was ripe with sightings of UFOs. Locals often point to the nearby Chapel Cross atomic power station as a culprit for the UFO's interest in the area. A few weeks after his story hit the papers, Jim said he was visited by two men in black. They drove to his workplace in a black Jaguar. They did not give names, only referring to themselves as 9 and 11. These men asked Jim to take them to the area where he had taken as a photo, and he agreed. The trio then drove to Bro Marsh. Once there, the MIBs berated Templeton into admitting that the spaceman was nothing out of the ordinary. He refused. They then asked him, where did you see the second spaceman? Jim had no clue what they were talking about. In the end, the MIBs became angry and annoyed with Templeton and simply left him there. He had to walk five miles back to the firehouse in which he worked. Months later, Jim sent another set of photographs for processing, and when they returned, some of the negatives had gone missing. He was never quite able to figure out why. Another strange corner to the story is that of the Blue Streak missile launch. Mere days after the photo was taken, a test launch of a Blue Streak missile, which had been developed in a Spadum, England, 24 miles from Bro Marsh, was scheduled in Woomera, Australia. This test launch was aborted due to two men being seen out in the firing range. When officials from the launch saw the picture in the Australian newspaper, I'm talking about Templeton's picture, they were astonished. The Solway spaceman and the men seen out in the firing range looked almost identical. Of course, many ideas on what the spaceman may have been have cropped up over the years, such as a being from another world, for some reason captured only for a split second, a psychic projection perhaps from either Jim or his daughter Elizabeth, a uh, simple hoax or a misidentification, or is it possible that the figure is simply Jim's wife Annie? who quickly stepped into and then out of frame. The answer is still up in the air, but hey, if you can solve it, Kodak has a year's worth of film with your name on it, which I'm sure will serve you well in 2021. Uh, yeah, that's the story, and I've always really been enamored by this picture 
and I, I really don't know what to make of it. And in fact, I just it just came to my head realization now of like what the MIBs were talking about when they asked, where did you see the second Spaceman? Like, and that never really, like, I never, I guess it never computed, it never came to mind, but are they referring to there being two, two of these guys at the missile launch? So they just assumed that he had to have seen both of them? I don't know. And as far as the picture just being, like, that's the biggest reasonable explanation, is that the picture is just Jim's wife. That she simply walked into frame because the viewfinder on the camera was so narrow that he just didn't catch it. So she wasn't there in the first picture. She walks through. She's in the second picture. She keeps on walking. She's in the third. And that, I guess, and then they say, they go on to say, like, oh, you don't recognize it. Because even though she's wearing a blue dress, which does appear to have, like, some sort of floor pattern or something on it. And there's pictures of all of these pictures in the show notes. Uh, they say that she walked in the frame. Viewfinder, too narrow, like I said. And then her blue dress is, she's overexposed. And the blue dress looks white. If you look at this picture, there's just something so uncanny valley about it. Like, you can't quite tell if it's facing forward, if we're seeing the back of this person. Uh, the the elbow that is kind of cocked out doesn't quite make sense. There's something very weird about it. And I feel like we have to know how fast he took the picture. We're talking film. We're not talking like digital, obviously. So we're talking the 60s. You probably had to wind the film manually after every picture so it was probably click wind click wind click wind if he did it that quickly either and even if he didn't notice i feel like she would be in those other two pictures at least one of them a blurry annie walking in the background in one of the other two pictures and then like if it's overexposed and i don't know i'm like, like i'm not a huge photographer i'm not a photographer at all but I feel like I did take a photography class once with film. Failed that class. Not because I knew what I didn't know what I was doing. Because my camera broke and I couldn't get it repaired. And correct me if I'm wrong. I could be I could be wrong, I don't know. But if you're a photographer, you've worked with filming to know this, let me know. If if a picture is overexposed, isn't all of it overexposed? Like I know you can go in and block stuff off and hit lights with and man like purposely overexpose stuff. But I think if you accidentally overexpose a picture, it's all overexposed. And that doesn't seem to be the case here. Like, if you look at other pictures of uh, Elizabeth, you see that the colors of her dress and stuff seem pretty consistent. It's not like she's washed out and, you know, overexposed just in the back. I don't know. Maybe it's possible. Maybe it's not. But I've never bought that explanation just because, A, wouldn't it just be, also be very simple for Annie to go, uh, no, I didn't do that i didn't walk behind there i don't know i just feel like it was it should be very easy to explain if that's annie his wife in the picture or not but this is a story about a picture so hit the link in the show notes. go to the show notes stscast.com go to the episodes tab take a look at uh the picture we'll have it there the full picture it's zoomed up and then another picture that has uh annie in it most of annie in it and uh, see what you guys think. But that is, I've always loved that story. I've always been very interested in this picture. And it was really great to finally get it out on the show. But let's move on to something uh, a little stranger than the Solway Firth Spaceman. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Palos Verdes is a coastal town with a population of 41,643. The town is just an eye shot away from Los Angeles and Catalina Island. The great views aside, back in 1971, something strange visited this coastal California town. The encounter started late at night, around 2 a.m. on August 17th of 1971. Two men, Peter Rodriguez and John Hodgins, hopped into Hodgins' car. They were leaving a friend's house on Dapple Gray Lane. Hodges turned on his lights, and sitting in front of his car were what could only be described as two brains floating in midair. The brains were bluish in color. One was the size of a human torso, and the other was the size of a softball. They had spindly extremities that resembled arms, and the big one had what appeared to be a red eye right in the middle of its uh, frontal lobe, quotation marks. Hodges and Rodriguez wasted no time in running away. Hodges first dropped Rodriguez off before returning to his own home. When he pulled into his driveway, 
He put the car in park. He then noticed that the time was now 4.30 in the morning. Somehow, a drive that normally would take around 10 minutes somehow took over two hours. For five years, Hodges pushed the experience to the back of his mind. But in 1976, he decided to undergo hypnotic regression to unlock his memories of what happened in those lost hours of that night so long ago. While under hypnosis, it all came to light. John had dropped off Peter Rodriguez without incident and drove the rest of the way home. Upon entering his driveway, he saw that the brains had followed him to his home. It was at this point that he went unconscious. He awoke in a place that he called the control room. He was not alone. Surrounding him were the two blue floating brains, as well as a myriad of other more frightening creatures. Among these beings were two seven-foot-tall, gray-skinned humanoids. They were thin-lipped and bald, with six webbed fingers on each hand. It was these tall greys that communicated telepathically with Hodges. They first told him that the brains were nothing more than communication devices that were used to help him help them talk to Hodges telepathically. But then I wonder if that's the case, like what were they doing following him around? Like they weren't they weren't just communicating, like they were tracking that guy too. They had some other uses, I think, other than just uh, being a intergalactic space phone. Yeah, but then again, I guess like our phones have GPS on them now too, so maybe maybe it all tracks. Hodges was then shown a projection, much like a TV projector, which showed him multiple nuclear explosions all over the Earth. These explosions were occurring, were occurring over places that the aliens warned had too much power. He was then given these words, perhaps a warning, perhaps advice. Take the time to understand yourselves. The time draws near when you shall need to. Hodgins then felt what he described as a buzzing ripple through his whole body before waking back up in his car at 4.30 a.m. And that is something I want to touch on this real quick because it's bugging me. I, I, I see this a lot in like missing time cases where they go, uh, you know, oh, we, I've unlocked what happened and this is what happened. But what I've just described to you, that took two hours? What else? More stuff had to have happened. Like, what, what, what he's describing feels like it took like another 10 minutes. Like it should have been like 2.30, you know? <laughs> I think there, there might have been more there uh, that he never got to because either he was just sitting in that room for two hours before they even said anything to him or there is a lot of conversation that he did not remember under regression. For the next couple of weeks, Hodges would claim to get messages from the beings. They told him that in 1983, a war would break out in the Middle East. This conflict would then spread up into Europe before exploding in all-out nuclear war. For whatever reason, these predictions never came to pass. Over the years, Hodges and Rodriguez's story 
became just one of the many encounter stories that warned of the threats of nuclear war. That was, that was the big thing back in the day. Even though it's a small story, the strangeness of the beings involved have kept it on the horizon uh, for all of these years. It is like it is a short, sweet story. Uh, you look it up, you'll find a couple of articles here and there. A lot of podcasts and stuff I've done about it, but it is, it is just this little thing that really there's not a whole lot of meat to. But I think just the, just the the wackiness of floating brains, because we all think about the Futurama episode, and we all think about old sci-fi movies from the fifties. Just keep this story, I think, fresh in everyone's minds, and just it's insanely fun. And I, I don't know, I don't have a whole lot to be like, what happened? Ooh, is it a hoax? Maybe. Is it this? Because that's really all there is. Yeah, no, I would love to find... I didn't really get into this, but both Hodges and Rodriguez did draw pictures of the beans, and I have yet to kind of stumble along, stumble onto those pictures. I'd really like to see, like, their sketches of them. I think that would be great. And like I said, I think there is so much more... Uh, there, I don't know how many times he had regression. It kind of feels like only once, but maybe, maybe he needed to go a couple more times. I feel like there's a little bit more there to be told uh, than what than what he got. And the info he got, I think there was a lot more there. And there we have it, our two uh, towns for the beginning of season seven. I'm going to take a little interlude, play some music. Nothing new yet, but I'm working on it. Try to get a couple out here for season seven. And we'll come back with uh, your local headlines and your small town secrets.
And uh, one more little uh, housekeeping note before we begin. I have decided to cut this segment down a little bit while I enjoy it. And I think uh, we find some interesting news stories, uh, some fun ones as well from time to time that kind of poke at a little bit. Lately, I feel like this segment gets a, a little long in the tooth sometimes. So let's try just doing like a couple of stories instead of three and see how that goes. That being said, this first one is from the leader, which is uh, leaderlive.co.uk. The story is by Matt Warner, or Warner, I'm sorry. And the headline reads, is this eerie photo taken? Is this eerie photo taken this week? That's how it's written. Evidence of a ghost haunting in Flint Castle? A man took the photograph during a visit to the castle with his young son on August 16th. When he looked at the photos after returning home, he was shocked to see what looks like a figure on a grassy area in front of the castle walls. He passed it on to Lynn Murphy, who has been investigating ghost and UFO sightings at locations like Werpy Woods in Flintshire for several years. Lynn of Flint said, he told me that there was nobody else there inside the castle at the time he took the photos of his son. When he got back to his home in Flint, he looked at the photos he had taken and noticed something in the background of one of the photos. He zoomed in more and got the shock of his life. I believe it is an apparition. Lynn thinks the photo might show a replaying of a moment from a previous time. She believes it shows the figure of a woman, possibly holding a book in her arms, but wants to investigate the site further. She added, what I will do is go back to the castle and take more photographs. I've taken photos there before that have shown blurring, so I think there is some kind of energy there. She hopes that other people who were there on the day or who may have seen something unexplained at the castle will comment on the story. Lynn has also shown the photograph to UFO investigator Russ Kellett, who is coming to Flintshire to investigate the many strange happenings in the region. Russ, who recently published his new book, E.T. Writer, is working on another volume about events in North Wales, including the infamous Burren Mountains incident. Burren, I'm sorry, Burren Mountains incident. Of the Flint Castle photo, he said, It is one of the best photos of its kind that I have seen, and I have seen a lot. There is definitely something there. Rather, it's a figure of a man or a woman, as always, when dealing with the paranormal, you can't quite put your finger on it. And link in the show notes, there are pictures of the picture, a lot of pictures of pictures in this episode, uh, zoomed in, and the full picture, and it's very intriguing. Like, I know there's like a thousand of these stories, but this one I kind of dig because it may be pareidolia, like you're just seeing a weird assemblage of uh, rocks in the castle wall, but then there's something that is very much in the grass outside of the wall. And I don't know, like at first I was like, oh, this is pareidolia. But the more I look at the picture and, you know, reading the story a couple of times, the more I'm not so sure. It is a pretty interesting one. Probably the best one I've seen since a, a few episodes ago about the uh, feet at uh, Waverly Hills. Very much like that. Take a, take a look at this one. Uh, this one I like. This one I like a lot. Uh, the next story 
is uh, from The Guardian. I uh, do not see a writer on it, just that it's from the Associated Press. The headline reads, Woman condemned in the Salem witch trials on verge of pardon 328 years later. More than three centuries after a Massachusetts woman was convicted of witchcraft and sentenced to death, she's finally on the verge of being exonerated, thanks to a curious 8th grade civics class. State Senator Deanna DiZoglio, a Democrat from, I think it's Mutham, you say it, Mutheim? I'm not sure, had introduced legislation to clear the name of Elizabeth Johnson Jr., who was condemned in 1693 at the height of the Salem witch trials, but was never executed. DiZoglio says she was inspired by sleuthing done by a group of 13 and 14 year olds at North Andover Middle School. Civics teacher Carrie LaPierre's students painstakingly researched Johnson and the steps that would need to be taken to make sure she was formally pardoned. It is important that we work to correct history, DiZoglio said. We will never be able to change what happened to these victims, but at the very least, we can set the record straight. If lawmakers approve the major, Johnson will be the last accused witch to be cleared, according to the Witches of Massachusetts Bay, a group devoted to the history and lore of the 17th century witch hunts. Twenty people from Salem and neighboring towns were killed, and hundreds of others accused during a frenzy of Puritan injustice that began in 1692. Stoked by superstition, fear of disease and strangers, scapegoating, and petty jealousies. Nineteen were hanged, and one man was crushed to death by rocks. In the 328 years that have ensued, dozens of suspects officially were cleared, including Johnson's own mother, the daughter of a minister whose conviction eventually was reversed. But for some reason, Johnson's name wasn't included in the various legislative attempts to set the record straight. Johnson was 22 when she was caught up in the hysteria of the witch trials and sentenced to hang. It never happened. The then-governor, William Phipps, threw out her punishment as the magnitude of gross miscarriages of justice in Salem sank in. But because she wasn't among those whose convictions were formally set aside, hers still technically stands. Why Elizabeth was not exonerated is unclear, but no action was ever taken on her behalf by the State General Assembly of the Courts, Zaglio said. Perhaps because she was neither a wife nor a mother, she was not considered worthy of having her name cleared. And because she never had children, there is no group of descendants acting on her behalf. Her bill would tweak 1957 legislation amended in 2001 to include Johnson, among others who were pardoned after being wrongly accused and convicted of witchcraft. In 2017, officials unveiled a semicircular stone wall memorial inscribed with the names of people hanged at a site in Salem known as Proctor's Ledge. It was funded in part by donations from descendants of those accused of being witches. LaPierre said one of her students initially were ambivalent about the effort to exonerate Johnson because they launched it before the 2020 presidential election and at a time when the COVID-19 pandemic was raging. Some of the conversation was, why are we doing this? She's dead. Isn't there more important stuff going on in the world, she said. But they came around to the idea, and it's important that in some small way we could do this one thing. And it's, you know, it's a little bit, I don't want to say a puff piece, but uh, 
I just dug it that she's the last one that they need to like exonerate and why not? And maybe one of these days on the show, uh, we'll dig in to the Salem Witch Trials. I don't know yet. It might be, might be uh, something, something to do on the show, but there you go. Just a couple of uh, your local headlines for this episode. And lastly, on this episode, let's dig into a couple of your own small town secrets. Both of these coming at me from Reddit. This first one is by user Blontave, and uh, here we go. Okay, honestly, it just occurred to me that this was not a normal experience. But in 2018, my boyfriend and I were driving deep back roads in and around Blairsville, Georgia. We had taken an alternate route on our way to the highway, very secluded. This was just after New Year's Day. We got into some extremely rural landscape. Around a bend, there was an old white man by the road waving both of his hands slowly in the air as if flagging us down. I thought something was wrong with the road. Boyfriend thought he needed help. We pulled over and cracked my window. I was highly suspicious. The old man leaned in as far as he could with his hands on the window and just babbled completely unintelligibly, rapidly, with some sort of intense energy. I wasn't sure if it was a need, a want, negative or positive or what. We both felt instant thick fear and dread, and the boyfriend sped off. Thought about calling 911, thinking it was an escaped dementia patient, but I didn't have service. I wouldn't get any for at least another hour. I know it reasonably could have just been an elderly man, but that stuck with both of us so heavily. We even joked about getting cursed that day. And I really like the story. The reason why I wanted to share it was because it reminds me of another story that we did sometime back in season six. I don't remember what episode about the person who was driving somewhere and they saw like the person wrecked on the side of the road and they went back and they weren't there. Like they, you know, they had this weird kind of time slip type of deal. Very, very similar to this seeing someone on the road. Uh, but then when they went back, they couldn't see the person on the road, but they did see like the wreckage or something of the car. I can't remember off the top of my head, but a very similar story. And that is why I really dug it. Uh, I don't know. I don't have any answers for that one. It might be maybe worth going back to that stretch of road and just maybe investigating a little bit and see, see what you get. And the next story is from Golden LaFish, also from Reddit. A little information on the place where I saw this figure. It's a hill, a high hill, next to the main street in here in town. The hill is clearly visible from the street. Anyway, this hill is a, a really relaxing place, especially during twilight. And that's why I often go there during my late walks. The incident happened three days ago. As I was on the way, as I was on my way there, uh, I think I got this story on Saturday, I believe, and it had been posted on Saturday. So it, it's not that old. It was really just last weekend, I would venture to say. I was walking the main street, and when I looked towards the hill, I saw a dark figure, almost like a shadow, standing right where I usually stood. The figure wasn't skinny or super tall. It just reminded me of a normal, average man. But it was completely black. It wasn't just someone wearing all black clothes, because even then, you can see some shades. But this was nothing. Even the face was just black. The hill is close enough to the street 
that you should be able to see some facial features. I was frozen in place, but not really scared, just shocked. I stared at the figure for about five minutes to see if it would move, but no, it just stood there in place, not moving an inch. Eventually, I backed up a little bit and then ran home. The next day, when I visited the place, many of the weeds around the spot were burnt. I don't think I'm going to be there late anymore. And uh, the thing really intrigued me about this is it's very much a classic like shadow person sighting, right? But it's kind of outside, no sleep paralysis or anything, but just a shadow that's not a shadow up on a hill. But then you add in this weird burnt spot, which very much intrigues me. I think, once again, just like the other person, uh, you don't have to go at night. It's a big misconception. Just go up there. Maybe do, like, try to grab some, you know, do some EVP work or just kind of scope it out. Really go in there and, and just check it out. You can go during the day. You know, whatever whatever this phenomena is, whatever these entities are, uh, a lot of times I'm not sure if they care if it's night or day. I have had interesting Estes Method sessions and all of that, you know, right out in the daytime. So if you're scared of going there at night, I say go during the day and just grab a recorder, use your phone, do some EVP stuff, or look into the area, you know, investigate it. Make it not scary for you and see what you come up with. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And if you have a small town secret to share, uh, an experience like a ghost, you know, anything, ghost story, UFO, Bigfoot, cryptid, a true crime thing, a weird history thing, whatever it is, uh, we can get it on the show. The best way to do it is to go to stscast.com at the bottom of the main page. There's an email form that you can fill out and that will come right to me. You can also hit me up at the uh, aforementioned social medias at the beginning of the episode. I gave those out. You can also find those at the bottom of that page. As well, uh, you can also find a bunch of other stuff on that site, such as merch, uh, links to support the show financially with Patreon and a couple of other things on there if you so want. Speaking of Patreon, if you are on Patreon, we will be talking about another kind of out there alien encounter. This one out of Italy, we're going to talk about uh, the Zanfretta alien encounter and that's what we're going to be getting into on the Backroads episode, the uh, extension, kind of extension episode to these. 
that's what you have to look forward to if you're on Patreon for next week. Um, if you're not on Patreon, there are a myriad of ways to help support the show. You can uh, leave a review on your podcatcher of choice, especially if it's iTunes. That's the one that really helps get the show out. I think to the most people, and really, I don't think I've said it in a couple of episodes, but the best way to do it is to just tell a friend and get them hooked on the show as well. If everyone that listens to the show gets another person to listen to the show, well, then that automatically doubles the audience. And uh, with that, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank everyone supporting it in any way they can. A couple of weeks, we'll have a new episode ready to go. So until then, thank you, stay safe, stay healthy, and remember that every town has a secret. What is yours?